I've been consuming quite a lot of online content about rescued owls lately because they're really cute and they make for a peaceful, happy moment in a stressful day. And if we see good news stories peppered throughout our media, it can really help balance the feeling of dread that the bad news can bring. But could those happy stories also rebalance our ideas about the entire human narrative, the arc of history, to something a bit more positive? Dr Angus Harvey is a political economist and a journalist. His TED talk, Why Are We So Bad at Reporting Good News, has been watched more than a million times. Angus, great to have you on the program. Good morning, Hilary. Thanks very much for having me. It's great to, great to have you here. And Dr Tim Sharp is a clinical psychologist and author. He's with us too. He can give us some insight into how our minds work around good and bad news. Tim, lovely to speak with you. Thanks for having me. Now, Angus, you run Future Crunch, which is a media company focusing on telling stories of progress from around the world. When did you first decide that we needed more of that? Well, I've always been news junkie. I think for as long as I can remember, I've also been worried about the end of the world. So this project really started as a a kind of form of my own medicine. Uh, About eight years ago, I read Stephen Pinker's book, Better Angels of Our Human Nature, and it really... It transformed my view of the world. It showed me that progress is less visible, but still very real. And a few years later, Hans Rosling wrote Factfulness, which I think many people have read and and has a lot of the same arguments. So I thought, well, what happens if I go out and start looking for news stories about the world becoming a better place? Not feel good, dog on a surfboard, teenager gives money to charity. and, And I say this with the utmost respect funny stories about owls, um, but genuine, big, world-changing stories of progress, uh, uh, stories about rising living standards, human rights victories, public health, environmental restoration. And the amazing thing is that once I started looking, I found them everywhere. This year alone, uh, we've reported over 2,000 of those kinds of stories in the Future Crunch weekly email newsletter. Yeah, and we'll get into the details of some of them because they're incredible. The, you know, drawing a line from the conflict in Ukraine to a good news story is is a pretty interesting uh, thing to have done. Tim, what's causing people to feel bad when they read the news? What what's the problem? Do you think with the way the news is presented these days? Oh, well, there's a couple of questions in there and a couple of big questions. Um, I guess it's not surprising we feel bad when we read negative news because it's distressing. I mean, you know, by definition, negative news is distressing. Um, but I suppose from a psychological point of view, it can be even more distressing than it possibly needs to be. One, because if we see it as everywhere and always, um, then it becomes even more distressing than it might be. But we know, um, and you just both touched on this, um, that it's not necessarily everywhere and always. Um, uh, so I think, um, you know, when we look at it like that, we need to question whether the reporting of the news or the reporting of the negative news is um, is helpful. Um, and no, it's not necessarily helpful. But the other question is, is it realistic? And again, as you've both just hinted at, it's not Well, it's not entirely unrealistic, but it certainly can be out of perspective because we know that there are far more positive news stories than we often read or hear about. And getting that balance right would be both, um, well, will be healthy for all of us, I think. Well, yes, but the the way the media has worked up till now is that, you know, if it bleeds, it leads, that idea. Tim, are, are human beings psychologically primed to find negative news more compelling? 
Uh, well, possibly. Yes and no. You know, there are some. Um, so there's a branch of psychology called evolutionary psychology, which looks at, uh, I guess it's self-explanatory in a way, but it kind of looks at why we are, how we are from an evolutionary perspective. Um, and there is some good evidence or, you know, there's an argument for saying that there's uh, there are benefits to having some sort of negativity bias, or at least there are benefits for being good at identifying risk and danger. So you could argue that, you know, if we didn't uh, or if we weren't able to identify a risk and danger, we, well, we wouldn't have survived. Um, and and obviously we're glad we did survive. Um, but the question then becomes, you know, is that old, um, you know, thousands of years age way of thinking about things, is that still helpful? Is it still relevant? Because, you know, we're not going to get, most of us aren't going to get attacked by a lion today or, you know, we're not going to starve necessarily. So um, I, I suppose the other thing is, even if it has evolutionary benefits or even if there's an evolutionary explanation, is it still relevant in 2023? Um, and in many cases, it's not. It's, you know, it's, it's sort of a bit, again it's out of perspective so one of the great things about the human brain is that we can we can override those um, primitive mechanisms, I suppose, and that's what some of us need to get a bit better at. <laughs> yes, indeed, and we'll get to some strategies around that as this conversation progresses on Life Matters. Uh, Angus Harvey, why do you think there is this negative bent in the news from the production side? Is it because uh, the, the assumption is that, you know, that's how you get more clicks or listeners or viewers? Yeah, it's a... Uh, look... If it, as you've already stated, if it bleeds, it leads. You know, has has always been a part of journalism. It's always been a part of the way that news is reported. Um, but it has changed in in the last twenty, and particularly in the last ten years. Uh, researchers from New Zealand recently analysed twenty three million headlines from the most popular media outlets in the world over the last two decades. And what they did is look at the basic emotions of anger, disgust, fear, joy, sadness, and surprise. And what they found is that there has definitely been a significant decline in sentiment with headlines using a lot more negative words over time. In other words, it's not just your imagination. The news has genuinely gotten worse. And you can see something really changes about a decade ago, which is when the media companies began testing dozens of variations of headlines to determine which ones got the highest clicks. And also, it's around about the time that social media giants like Facebook and the website formerly known as Twitter added the like and retweet buttons, which poured fuel on the negative news fire. And over the next 10 years, sentiment in those headlines declined three times as fast as the decade before. So the attention economy has destroyed the news. If it bleeds, it leads. is no longer just a colloquialism coined by cutthroat tabloid editors. It's now at the heart of today's media business model. And that's why we're all doom scrolling now, because doom is increasingly the only thing on offer. But that's the interesting thing to to put next to these studies, isn't it, that show that people are switching off the news lately because it is too depressing. What are your thoughts about that, Angus? Is that model not working anymore? Well, it's interesting in that in a sort of it's been also those 10 or 20 years i have to point out have been extremely difficult years for journalism and, and media business more generally uh, where what's happened is the model has been completely turned on its head and so they've ended up fighting over a smaller and smaller kind of dwindling resource so it's it's gotten it's like a a pack of wolves <laughs> fighting over um smaller and smaller scraps of meat um but i guess the I guess the question now, which which a, a lot of journalists and news organizations might want to be asking themselves is, uh, A, do we try and build a new business model? Uh, 
B, do we just kind of fight over the, the dwindling resource? Or C, is there another way maybe of reporting the news that, that engages people and brings them back to and doesn't cause them to switch off? We're speaking with uh, Dr. Angus Harvey, who's a political economist and a journalist. He's done an amazing TED Talk where he acts out a different way of doing the news. It's very, uh, very illuminating. And Dr. Tim Sharp is a clinical psychologist and author. Uh, and we're talking today about what it means to be in a news landscape where the news is very bent towards the negative generally, depending on which outlet you go to, and why it's important to have those good news stories come back into our mix. Uh, Tim, you've said that the news today doesn't just make people people feel bad, but it also contributes to this sense that people might view the world as more black and white. How does that work and why is that a problem? Yeah, well, I think, uh, well, Angus touched on this a bit earlier. I think it's particularly problematic in more recent, well, in the last decade or so since social media has um, led to us becoming, uh, well, I suppose a more dichotomous society, I suppose. Um, you know, it's either or, and we, and we can get trapped in our own, um, you know, in these bubbles where we only see or hear um, more and more of the same. Um, so you become more and more extreme in your opinions and less and less likely to consider or tolerate um, other opinions. Um, why is that a problem? Well, it's not healthy. Um, we know that black and white thinking, um, you know, is associated with depression and anxiety, but we also know it's not realistic. We know that the reality is, and again, you know, Angus's work and the work of, um, you know, he's referred earlier to Stephen Pinker and a bunch of other people has shown that um, it's just not real. It's not a realistic representation of the world. The world is not black and white. The world is, um, well, some people would say there's a lot of grey in between. I'd say there's a lot of colour in between. <laughs> there's there's a lot of things happening in between those extremes. Um most of us, most of the world is not good or bad. We're somewhere a bit of both and we vacillate from day to day depending on the context, depending on the issue. And being realistic, I suppose to come back to the, the main point is being realistic about this is important. I would say, um, well, I mean, maybe this is a question for you guys to answer, but you know, what's the role of journalism? Is the role of journalism to report only one tiny percentage of what's going on or a realistic representation of really what's going on overall, taking everything into account? But the other matter, I suppose, more from a psychological point of view, which is, I guess, my area, um, is again whether it's healthy or not. And if we if we get too extreme, particularly with the negative news, then people can develop what well what what some psychologists have referred to in other contexts as learned helplessness. Um, if everything just looks so bleak and so bad, and we feel there's nothing we can do about it, then we just give up. Um, and we've seen this a little bit. I suppose one example is in the climate debate. Um, you know, this sense that there's really nothing we can do. Um, and that's well, again, it's not healthy and it's not true. There are things we can do. Um, and so more recently, uh, again in the climate debate, we've seen a, a movement called Active Hope, which is, um, you know, we, we do need to focus on how bad it is. It is a very serious issue, but there's much that we can do. There's much that is being done. And again, Angus has reported on this and other people have reported on it. We need to report on it so people feel a sense of hope and a sense of agency, that they can do something, they can take positive action. That's, that's really important in life. Yes, indeed. Well, Angus, on that, I mean, you're a political economist. Where where does the line fall between uh, negative news and positive news when it comes to motivating people towards action and, and having those implications, I guess, on on policy? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think what a lot of people, when people hear good news, they sort of say, oh, well, you know, good news isn't realistic either. You know, but what we're talking about here is not necessarily as Tim has mentioned, uh, a black and white version of the world. The world is not all great. The world is not all terrible either. And if you believe, like I do, that the news should inform us about what's happening in the world, 
happening in the world, sorry, then it's right now just doing a, a really terrible job at that. It's telling us everything uh, about what's going wrong. Uh, it's all about failure and not success. Uh, and it's about sudden events, not gradual trends. It's about the unusual, not the commonplace. And as a result, vast waves of progress are simply invisible in journalism. A simpler way of saying this is that terrible things might be happening and we shouldn't look away from them. They're important. But that doesn't mean that everything that that is happening is terrible. In the last fortnight, for example, here in Australia, the news has been dominated by legal detention and the Bruce Lerman and Brittany Higgins story. And internationally, of course, it's the horrific war in Gaza and climate change and COP28. But in the same fortnight, millions of malaria vaccines started arriving in Africa. South Africa has reported a huge fall in HIV infection rates and deaths. A report has shown child cancer deaths have plummeted in America. Tanzania has said it's on track to electrify the whole country by next year. Thailand's cabinet has approved an amendment to its civil code to allow same-sex marriage. Papua New Guinea has tripled ocean conservation with two massive new marine protected areas. And this is my favorite one. An analysis has shown that deforestation across the nine Amazonian countries so far this year is down 55.8% compared to the same period a year ago. So, Angus, where would we find these stories? I mean, are they appearing in any of the public media, independent media or commercial media in this country? The answer is no. (laughs) The answer, we, we publish those stories in our newsletter, but they are almost invisible everywhere else. And so what we have to do is trawl through the internet into the kind of darkest reaches and often into kind of UN reports and very obscure corners to pull all that stuff out. So this is Angus Harvey from Future Crunch. If you're looking for those stories and you want to see the, you know, completely legitimate, entirely uh, real and accurate news that's coming out on the good side of things, you can go to Future Crunch and there'll be lists of places you can find them. Uh, Angus, tell us a bit more about the, the line you drew in your TED Talk between the terrible conflict in Ukraine and a good news story. Yeah, so what's been interesting about the war in Ukraine is that it has kind of, it, it, it essentially turbocharged the global clean energy revolution, uh, where countries realize that another country might be able to invade and, and it can stop the flow of oil and gas, but no country can stop the sun from shining and the wind from blowing. And so what we've seen over the last 18 to 24 months is just this extraordinary explosion um, in the worldwide uh, clean energy revolution. Uh, now, this is not only because of the war in Ukraine. But certainly what we've seen is Europe has drastically reduced its reliance on fossil fuels, in particular gas, as a result of what's happened in Ukraine. Um, And also in many other parts of the world, policymakers have gotten pretty serious about providing political support to clean energy technologies. Uh, The result of this, uh, there are a number of reasons for this year's explosion in clean energy. This is not the only one. Uh, But what it's meant is that most people just have no idea how much progress we've made this year on clean energy. Humanity has installed staggering amounts of solar energy in particular this year, 58% more than last year, which itself marked a 42% increase from 2021. And it means that the world's solar capacity has doubled in the last 18 months. Nobody, no one predicted anything close to this. And the result is that everyone is having to tear up their old predictions. China was supposed to peak its emissions in 2030, and analysts are now saying that emissions are set to start falling in China in 2024 and could be facing a structural decline due to record growth in the installation of new low-carbon energy sources. Now, to my mind, that's the most important climate story in the world. 
So why hasn't it gotten more coverage? Well, yeah, it's, it's, is, news, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was news wondering if it's bad news. Is it also a Eurocentric or US-centric view of the world? A lot of these uh, uh, innovations and developments are happening in developing countries. Yes, I think there's a there's an element of truth to that. The vast majority of people who report news uh, are English-speaking journalists who are primarily interested in the Anglosphere, uh, and there are you know smaller pockets of that around the world, but. Of course, most people in the world don't actually speak English and don't live in the Anglosphere. Um, and so if you start looking at news from places like East Asia, uh, some, some of the news come out of Africa, uh, South America, that uh, there are amazing good news stories to find. Uh, it's just harder to find them because they're not in English. Lots of texts coming in on this topic. I think this is one at the heart for RN listeners who uh, hopefully feel that they are getting a good dose of, of balance and interesting, useful, lovely, difficult uh, on our on our network. John in the ACT says, I watch heartwarming dodo videos about cute animals and human kindness on Facebook as an antidote to the news and I rely on trustworthy sources such as the ABC, the BBC and The Economist. Another one issue is the inability of media to maintain focus on long-term issues and trends uh, instead of those little little points. And Dave says, what's really being said here is our news too often tends to lack context and nuance. We're speaking with Dr Angus Harvey, who's a political economist and journalist, and Dr Tim Sharp, who's a clinical psychologist and author, and looking at those macro and micro impacts of having a news landscape that is overwhelmingly negative in most cases except for these little spots of hope that uh, Angus is constructing and also trawling and uh, and disseminating as well. Future Crunch is the one he runs, but there are others out there too. Now, Angus, let's talk about the, the macro. I mean, you argue that this flood of negative stories doesn't just make us feel bad individually and personally, but it can shape what we tell ourselves about the human story. Tell us what you mean by that. Mm. This is a uh, this is this is something I've been thinking a lot about probably in more recent years. Uh, it's the idea that uh, you, we sort of are quite desperate to put narrative onto history. Uh, we we want to know: are we in the kind of upswing of history, or, or are we in the downswing? Are we sort of uh, you know are we about to enter a dark age, or, or kind of could we be on the cusp of a you know some, a golden new age? And if you look all the way through history these narratives kind of get imposed on periods of history uh, retrospectively. Uh, so that that was a golden age, that was a terrible age. Uh, and then we also talk about it in politics like that. The most famous quote, of course, being uh, the one from Martin Luther King, the moral arc of history bends towards progress, um, something that was repeated many times, I think, by Barack Obama. So when we're looking at our current historical moment, uh, many of us have this kind of feeling of, oh gosh, no, we're in the downswing of history right now. You know, that we're on this slope going downwards. Things are falling apart. The world's becoming a, a worse place, and, and that makes us feel like uh, we're powerless, as Tim has mentioned there already. But the reality is that at any given moment in history, uh, the world is experiencing extraordinary stories of progress, and it's experiencing all of the stories of collapse, and those things are happening simultaneously. And so it's not really about trying to say, where are we right now? We'll, that, that will all get figured out 20 or 30 years from now. The most important thing right now is to say, which of those stories do you belong to? Do you belong to the story of renewal and progress and um, things advancing? Or do you belong to and tell the story and spread the story around of collapse? And I think that's the most important thing for 
for people to understand when they're engaging with the news. I certainly found some of the things in your newsletters so heartening around climate change because, I mean, we are also hearing from the UN report this year that we're on the brink of reaching environmental tipping points that will cause irreversible damage to life-sustaining systems. That's just Mm. one of the reports that's come out with some pretty grim news. Do we risk giving a false impression of the reality if we've got too much positivity and people say, oh, well, I don't need to worry about that now? No, I think the the American writer Rebecca Solnit uh, has a, a really lovely way of saying this. She says that hope is a verb. It's not something that you have or that you're given. It's something that you do. Uh, and that in this moment, uh, which, you know, to quote the Lord of the Rings, is the darkest hour possibly before the dawn, um, the most important thing to do is for hope to be uh, an act, uh, an action, Um for us to engage with this, to inform ourselves with stories about how things could turn around. Uh, that, you know, in this moment of kind of peak carbon emissions, that, that we could be on the cusp here of, of moving things forward. Um, but that uh, by switching off and becoming cynical, um, we risk letting the, the narrative of collapse uh, become real. And so we have to tell ourselves the story of hope uh, in order to be able to take action. Dr. Tim, uh, sorry, <clears throat> Dr. Tim Sharp, what are your thoughts on that, on the, the balance line between uh, dwelling in positivity just because we would really like to, perhaps, um, even what people call toxic positivity, that's kind of relentless push to be positive, and a more uh, realistic engagement with the positive and the negative? How do you find that? Yeah, look, I think this is a super important question. It's something that that relates, or you know, that's relevant to us as individuals, um, and 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 then there's been a big focus on my career, but also at a at a larger scale, um, you know, communities and, and nationally or in, in something like in the media, um, and and I guess you know one of the things that maybe I'd um, maybe I'd ask a question rather than giving an answer, but but what, what if we were to get away from thinking about this as either positive or negative? I, I think those terms themselves are actually polarizing um, and and not necessarily helpful um and so you know so far as working with individuals it's not necessarily you know i wouldn't necessarily say you should think positively you should stop thinking negatively i guess the question i ask them is what is actually helpful and if we bring that up to this question at, you know, at the media level what's the most realistic and helpful way to report what's going on and you know angus touched on this just a bit earlier there's good and bad um, you know the world is never either one or the other it's almost absurd if you you know when you say it out loud like that so is the world good is the world bad well it's lots of things and all at the same time and i suppose in an ideal world um if i were you know if i had my magic wand the media and again we all touched on this earlier the media would report all of it in context in a nuanced way you know realistically reporting the bad things that we need to address but also realistically reporting the good things that are happening we need both we need to face up to the cold hard realities because we need to find solutions to them but we also need the hope that comes from the fact that good things are happening so we don't give up so we don't just sort of crawl up in a corner um so yeah i guess maybe you know what if we were to think about this as more as what is realistic and helpful well, yes, and uh, Angus Harvey, you've got an idea of history as more like a rope than a, yeah, a series of peaks and troughs. Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, it's the uh, w- when I was thinking about this idea of you know how do we does is history just a sort of upslope or a downslope? Uh, maybe a more useful way, and and this goes to what Tim is saying, you know, uh, in terms of actually useful ways to think about the news and useful ways to think about where we stand. 
is that maybe history is kind of this huge rope with thousands, millions, billions of different strands. And some of those strands are strands of war and disease and poverty, but maybe there are other strands that are stories of environmental progress and restoration, stories of human rights wins, um, stories of disease has been eliminated, strands of tolerance and uh, progress, and that all of those strands are kind of thickly interwoven with each other. And that maybe uh, the question that we have to ask ourselves is which one of those strands do we want to belong to? Um, what does your own personal strand represent? Uh, and that to me seems uh, like a more useful way perhaps of thinking about it. A couple of really quick questions, Angus. I, I, I hope they're quick questions. They might be big questions. <laughs> but I, a lot of the good news stories can come from powerful entities like governments who've made change and want to present themselves well, drug companies with new vaccines, tech companies creating new software. Could it end up being a bit of a PR exercise and sidelining the people who don't generally have a power and a, and a voice if we focus on these news stories that are products in a way? Possibly, but the the thing is that I think that that would sort of suggest that maybe there's a, a an organised push behind, you know, getting stories of progress out there, and and certainly in my experience, that just does not exist. Uh, you know, we we grab all of our stories of progress from literally hundreds, if not thousands, of different sources, and what those do is add up to a narrative that genuinely suggests. There are really scary things happening in the world right now, but also some incredible stories of progress, in particular around things like public health, environmental conservation, and uh, you know increasing tolerance and human rights. So that that's not something that I think worries me too much. There's just it's just too disparate. Um, there's too many different agencies reporting on different uh, trends to, to for there to be some kind of uh, PR exercise at play. And you can find a list from uh, Future Crunch, Dr. Angus Harvey's uh, outfit, uh, putting out positive news stories on the Life Matters homepage. They're, they're getting ready to send out their annual list. Uh, Angus, is it journalism or is it activism if you're saying, hey, we need to have a certain number of good news stories or of particular kinds in the mix? <laughs> is it journalism or is it activism? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, is that journalism's that. role to say, I would like to motivate people towards action and so I'm going to have more of these stories? I, th I think I think it might be quite... Uh, I'd come back maybe to Tim's suggestion here, which I really love, to say what would it look like to have a, a media newsroom that reported on all the stories it does right now, but also that dedicated itself to, you know, stories of of real progress and change and that it was all kind of mixed in amongst each other. You know, what would it mean if a media newsroom dedicated, you know, incredible resources to telling the story of how the malaria vaccine was approved this year? I mean, that's the greatest breakthrough in global public health in probably about 50 years. We're, we're about to deploy a vaccine against a disease that kills half a million African children every year, and that's kicking off next year with hundreds of millions of doses being distributed. So why haven't we got profiles of the inventors and analysis of the geopolitics of that and stories about the funding and the ins and the outs? And the you know why doesn't that get the same attention uh, as some of the other bad news stories? I'd love to see what a newsroom like that looked like. Really interesting text on that. Consumers are part of the problem. Media is a business and prints or broadcasts what people want to hear. But from what we're hearing today, it's it's also the production side. I mean, consumers might not know there's lots of things we want to hear about more because we have never been able to access the detail, certainly without a lot of digging time on the internet, as Dr. Angus Harvey's been doing. Um, Dr. Tim Sharp, you argue that people can also try to apply this uh, 
balance of good and bad news theory to our personal lives. How do we do that? What's a strategy we can use? Yeah, 100%. Um, and, and maybe just to go back a step before I directly answer that question um, and, and, and answer the previous question in a slightly different way. Uh, I'm guessing, uh, well, I'm a parent and I'm guessing a lot of your listeners are parents or grandparents. And if they were to imagine, it's a little bit like imagining that if your child came home from school with a, you know, with their report card, um, I guess we're getting near the end of the year, so this will be happening. And, you know, let's just say they got a, um, you know, a couple of A's and a, a couple of B's and maybe a C. Um, uh, the, the easy trap to fall into is just focusing on the sea. You know, well, where is my child failing? Where are they not doing well? What do I do about it? Um, and that's kind of a little bit like what the news does. The news just focuses on the seas, on the failures, on all the things that are going terribly wrong. Now, um, now, no parent, I wouldn't, I would never recommend to a parent that they don't focus on the sea. You know, if my child was failing in maths or something, of course I'd want to try and understand why. I'd talk to the teacher. We'd, you know, maybe get some remedial effort put in and, and try to try to boost that up or help them, you know, correct where they're going wrong. But I would say it would be an absolute travesty to ignore the A's. Um, you know, so yes, focus on the C's. Yes, try and fix that. Yes, do whatever we can. But don't ignore the A's. Let's not forget about where our children are doing really well. And again, I suppose if we bring that back, that's what I'd like to see a bit more from the media. Um, of course, we want to address those big, terrible catastrophes. Uh, of course, you need to report on them. No one would want the media not to do that. But why do we spend so much? Why do we ignore the A's so often? Um, and I suppose to come back to your question, in our personal lives, another version of this is the age-old practice, but very effective practice, of gratitude or appreciation. And this is where we can actively spend some time in our days and in our lives focusing on what's going well, on the good things, on you know where we're having success successes and what we're you know, you know what we're grateful for um there's really good research it, it sounds ridiculously simple but there's really good research that suggests people that do that on a regular basis are happier and healthier and have well basically do better in almost every area of their life so the practice of gratitude in a sense is a, a version of what we're talking about here Indeed, it's making hope into a verb again dr tim sharp dr angus harvey thank you both so much for joining us on life matters today Thanks for having me. It's a Thank pleasure. you very much for having us. Dr. Angus Harvey is a political economist and a journalist. He's the co-founder of Future Crunch, which is a media company focused on telling stories of progress from around the world. And he's got a giant list. We only touched on two or three of the stories that are making, uh, should be making headlines and are making enormous waves in uh, relieving human suffering around the world. Dr. Tim Sharp is a clinical psychologist and author. And as you heard, that, uh, that macro approach can serve us well on a micro level as well. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.